0: first reading comes from Judges chapter 6 starting at verse 1. It's page 255 if you have the church Bibles. Judges chapter 6 starting at verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts it was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in, uh, in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abbey Ezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior.
1: Come and meet Gideon, the humble warrior of faith. Judges 6, God uh, saved them, do you remember, last week in unexpected ways, but the expected has happened again. Verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Disobedience. And so he handed them over into the hands of the Midianites who who raided them and destroyed their crops. The Israelites, they hid in the caves and wherever they could find until finally they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up a deliverer. He doesn't look much. He's a, a humble farmer, threshing wheat. But the Lord sees his strength, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's humble despite what the angel says. "Uh, Who am I to save the Israelites? I'm from the least family. I'm, I'm the least in my family. But the angel says, you will strike down the Midianites. A promise from God. I'm sending you. And so. This mighty warrior of faith trusts in God's promise and takes on Israel's biggest problem. Not the Midianites. No, that they've done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They've forsaken the Lord and followed other gods. And so in his own hometown, surrounded by his family and those he's grown up with, he tears down the altar of Baal. He conquers in this way. And then he takes on their second biggest problem, the Midianites. As if on Q, verse 33, the Midianite armies arrive. There are so many of them. They are like locusts. Is this too much, though, for the mighty warrior of faith? No way. He calls the Israelites to join him. The spirit of the Lord, verse 34, came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet summoning the people and they went up to meet him. The call goes out, they've heard of this mighty warrior and they come out of the caves to fight with him. But God says this 32,000 men is too many for such a mighty warrior. And he reduces the number to 300. Not perturbed, of course, this mighty warrior of faith, he goes down into the camp to see what might happen. And he comes up out of the camp and he calls to the people, chapter 7, verse 15, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. This mighty warrior of faith has hatched a fiendish, daring plan. Lit torches covered by jars and trumpets in their hands. The 300 men surround the thousands of Midianite troops. On Gideon's command, they smash the jars. The torches are shown. They blow the trumpets. And the Midianites are terrified. Gideon has won the day. The mighty warrior of faith has defeated their enemy and the peace lasted for 40 years. And God's people are so impressed. They are so grateful. They realize that Gideon is the answer to all their problems. They will no longer be plundered. They will no longer have judges that simply die and they're left helpless He saved them, he shall rule them. Chapter 8, verse 22. Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Gideon. But this, out of the hand of Midian. But this mighty warrior of faith, how does he respond? Too right, does he say? Of course you should give me the throne. I will rule you well. No, have a look, verse 23. I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. He has the courage that comes from faith. He has the humility that comes from faith. Gideon, the humble warrior of faith. It's no wonder, is it, that in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, he is part of the great hall of fame of faith. One of those who through faith conquered kingdoms, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, who routed foreign armies. When you look at Gideon, you see the, f- the difference that faith in God's promises can make. What difference does it make? Faith gives you courage, faith gives you humility. And faith can do that for us as well, surely. It's different for us. We're not facing an enemy army, and God is not promising to send us and give us victory against that army, but God gives us promises, doesn't He? He promises to give us strength, He promises to be with us in whatever we face, He promises to use us in our weakness. He promises that through us, He is building His kingdom. He will finally defeat evil and give us a place in His kingdom. That's quite an array of promises. Do you have faith in those promises? It'll give you courage. It'll give you humility. I wonder, do you need courage at the moment? Are you facing sickness or uncertainty? Are you dealing with issues at school or at work or in your family or even in your church family that when you put them together simply seem overwhelming, and you are not sure that you can cope. Well, can you see in Gideon the difference that faith in God's word can make? Faith that brings courage, faith that brings humility. This is Gideon, the humble warrior of faith. We need to be like Gideon. And he is just the sort of saviour. That we need, but like most of us, Gideon is far more complex than that. And I want us to start again and see Gideon from a different perspective, as I mention different parts of the story. Come back to chapter six. The cycle does begin with the people doing evil. They Turned away from God and turned to other gods, and the Lord handed them over. This time, though, in the cycle, there's an unusually long description of the oppression. The Midianites and what they did to the Israelites, and how the Israelites, it was so bad they had to hide in the caves, until finally the oppression was so bad, verse 6, that they even cried out to the Lord. And what did the Lord send? Well, verse 7, have a look of chapter 6. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them, what do you expect? A deliverer, a judge, but no. He sends them a prophet. They don't need deliverance, first of all, they need a message. And the prophet said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. I, 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 I did this for you and simply said, do not worship the other gods. But you have not listened to me it's like the prophet the angel back in chapter 2 do you remember god sends to rebuke them you have not listened to me and in chapter 2 the people wept and what do they do here nothing there is no indication that they responded at all you have not listened to me And it seems they are not even listening now. Well, at least Gideon listens when the angel comes to him. Or does he? Verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And how does Gideon respond? Thank you? That's wonderful news? Let's go and defeat the Midianites. No. No, he complains and accuses God instead. Verse 13, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The word abandoned there is the same word as forsake. The Lord has forsaken us. Ring any bells in Judges? Who was it who had forsaken who? The people had forsaken God. But Gideon turns it the other way around. He complains and accuses God. He's not listening. But God is patient and kind and treats his complaint as a prayer. And says, "I'm sending you. You will deliver them. I will deliver them through you." Well, Gideon's not heard this sort of thing before. He's not used to be calling, uh, being called a mighty warrior, and so perhaps quite reasonably, he asks for a sign. You can read it later on. He, he sets out an offering, and the angel touches the offering. It goes up in smoke. The angel suddenly disappears, and Gideon gets it. It was God who was talking to him, and now he's feeling a little afraid. He remembers how he spoke to God, and he knows he's for it now. But God speaks and says, Peace, do not be afraid, for God is patient and kind to him. Well, in this peace, perhaps Gideon does do what he's told. He attacks the biggest problem, he tears down the altar. But when does he do it? Verse 27. He does it at night, for he was afraid, mighty warrior of faith that he is. And when the people of the town are angry with him, does he stand up and call them to repent from worshipping Baal, the false god? No, because he's too busy hiding behind his daddy's leg, who's trying to protect him from getting killed. He does call the people to come, and a great army who've heard of him tearing down the altar come, 32,000 of them. Is he then more confident that God is really sending him? No. Instead, he tests God. Have a look at it there, verse 36, Gideon's famous fleece test. God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. Look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry in the morning, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful. of of water gideon sets a test and god meets it now many Christians down through the years have seen this as uh, as an example of what you should do when you need guidance from God. You're not sure what he wants you to do and you set up a test so that he can guide you so that you will know what to do. You know, you can imagine you're a youth group, uh, there's a girl that you like and you really haven't got the courage to ask her out because uh, she might just say no. And you want to know whether this is God's will for your life to ask her out. And so you set a test to God. God, I think she's the one. If she is the one for me, give me a sign. If she is the first girl to walk through the door at youth group tonight, I'll know she's the one. And I promise I'll follow your guidance and ask her out. That's what Gideon does, isn't it? No, actually. Gideon already knows what to do. Gideon has already been told by God what to do. He's not asking for guidance. He's testing God to see if he really meant it. And Gideon knows that. Can't you see that? If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. Verse 37, if there is ground, if the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you said, this is not guidance he's asking for. That was a stupid way to get guidance about asking out a girl, can I say, in case you were wondering about it. Use your brain and have some courage, boys. It's not guidance he's asking for, he's testing the Lord. And it's not a good example, is it? Well, he's not content with the first one, even though God comes through. He's already had a sign and one test, but he asks again, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, as God should be. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Again, God is patient And kind with Gideon. And Gideon is most certainly not a warrior of faith. Indeed, he doesn't even repent when he gets the sign and two tests. Or well, God reduces the army, like we saw, down from 32,000 down to 300 because he doesn't want Israel to boast or Gideon to boast. 22,000 go home. Why? Because God says anyone who trembles with fear may leave. And I guess Gideon was just too embarrassed to join them, don't you think? Because that's him, the fear that comes From unbelief. Well finally the time has come. They've surrounded the Midianites and God knows that Gideon is still afraid. He's had God's word, he's had a sign from God, he's had two tests. But God knows that is not enough. God is patient and kind and he gives him one more. Verse 9. During that night the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. That's all he needs to say. But he also says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon went down. Verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. What else could it be? God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his This is a remarkable coincidence, isn't it? Gideon turns up just at that moment. And frankly, it's a remarkable interpretation. It's not an obvious interpretation, unless you're really skilled in dream interpretation, I guess, that the bread roll is Gideon. Do you think? Clearly the Midianites are already afraid because God has made them afraid. Do you see here what finally convinces the mighty warrior of faith? It is not the word from God. It is not the sign from God. It is not the two tests from God. What is it? It's the superstitious interpretation of a dream about a bread roll by an idol-worshipping enemy soldier. That's what does it for him. And he puts Gideon to shame, doesn't he? What does the soldier say? God has given Midian into Gideon's hand. The soldier believes it. It's about time Gideon does. And all Gideon manages to do is to remember the phrase and put the Jewish name for God in the sentence. The Lord has given Midian into your hand. Do you see, is Gideon really the mighty warrior of faith? He is not listening. He has the fear that comes from unbelief. Mind you, I've made fun of Gideon, but we shouldn't be too harsh with him, should we? He's just like the rest of the people, and he is just like us, not listening to God, not believing what he says. Are you holding back from believing God about something? Is there a promise that he's given that you are refusing to believe, refusing to trust? Are you waiting somehow for God to prove himself? Do you even put God to the test when he's already told you what to do in his word? Gideon does us the service of showing us how ridiculous that is. And we should be so thankful that God is patient and kind. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not be like Gideon here. Help us to see how we don't listen to your word, believe your promises, and do what you say. We want to be like Gideon in his prime, in that golden moment where he actually believes your word, acts upon it, and leads others in doing it. Please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Gideon, the mighty warrior of faith. Except he's not. And sadly, he's not really humble either. Let's have a look at chapter 8.
2: Uh, the second reading is um, Judges eight, twenty-two to 27, on page 259. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you've saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, We'll be glad to give you them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder in, onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family.
1: Well, Gideon seems humble. Who am I, the least in my family? He seems humble because he's not forthright and out there ready to fight straight away. But when he's successful, it becomes really clear that he is not humble at all. They do this really clever thing with the torches and the jars and the trumpets. The enemy scatter, and they still need to pursue them, and they pursue them across the Jordan River. He's just got 300 men, and by now his 300 men are exhausted. And so Gideon comes to a couple of Israelite towns, verse 5, and asks them for some bread. Give my troops some bread, he says, while I'm still pursuing the enemy. But the people of that town don't want to do it because they're afraid, just like Gideon was. I mean, what if Gideon doesn't defeat the enemy? The Midianites come back like they do every year and let them have it because they helped Gideon. But is Gideon sympathetic to people who are afraid like he was? Is he patient and kind like God was to him? No. He is proud and cruel. He's furious that they are doubting what he can do. And so he promises that when he comes back, he will let them have it. And when he comes back, sure enough, he tears their flesh with thorns and kills the men of the town. That's the sort of deliverer that he has come And as for turning down the kingship, verse 22, that seems impressive, doesn't it? That'd be hard to do. Who wouldn't want to be king with all that comes with it? But have a look at what he does. Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, verse 22, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. And Gideon said, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. Why not? The Lord will rule over you. Gideon knows what to say. He gets it right. The Lord is their king, not Gideon. It would be wrong for him to take the throne. But notice what he doesn't say. Rule over us, they say, because you have saved us. Can you pick up the problem there? You have saved us, Gideon, you mighty warrior, you. God made it really clear, didn't he, that it wasn't the Israelites who saved them. It wasn't Gideon who saved them. It was God. And Gideon should have known that. And Gideon should have spoken up. But he has become proud. And so he manages to say no to the kingship. That's what he says with his lips. But notice what he does with his actions, what he is really saying. I do have one request, he says, verse 24, that each of you should give me an earring from your share of the plunder. We'll be glad to give them, verse 25, and they spread out a garment and they threw in all sorts of gold and great precious stones for Gideon. For after all, what does a king do? He charges tax. And that's exactly what Gideon does. What would a king do to make sure he holds on to his power? He'd want to control religion and control God. And so with this goal that the people has have given him, verse 27, he made it into an ephod, a garment that a priest would wear, which is supposed to be in Shiloh, where God's people are supposed to worship at this time, but instead he puts it where? In his town. Because he wants it where he can control it. He wants religion there, he wants God there, because that's just what a king would do. What else would a king do? He'd have a lot of women, wouldn't he? Especially in the Middle East. Verse 30. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. So many, they're not even counted. Did each of them get a royal wedding? I doubt it. But he's acting just like a king, don't you think? And the clincher, verse 31, is he has another son through his concubine, whom he named Abimelech, which to us just sounds like a weird name that you're glad you didn't get. But it means, my father, the king. Do you see what Gideon's doing? Rule over us, they say. And Gideon says, no. But with his actions, he's saying, oh, yes. Do you see what Gideon is like? In his success, he has become proud and cruel and a hypocrite. He's like us again, isn't he? He knows the right thing to say, but does the opposite. Gideon the humble warrior of faith there is that golden moment i think when he calls the people and says the lord has given you given them into our hands i'll lead you into battle he shows at that moment courage that comes from faith and that is just what the people needed a savior who would save them by trusting god but in reality gideon is flawed He refuses to listen to God, to trust him. He fears and he is proud. But he does show us, doesn't he, what the people needed. He does show us what we need. Imagine for a moment if Jesus, our saviour, was like Gideon. Imagine Jesus was faced with his great battle the night before his death, about to take on sin and death for us. And knowing exactly what God had said, with no doubt at all in his mind of what God had said, but Jesus was busy laying out tests for God. Imagine that. Oh God, if I must die to save your people as you have said, if you will raise me up afterwards, as you have promised, then make this fleece wet overnight, will you? Imagine if our Saviour was like that, with the fear that comes from unbelief. And imagine if our Saviour was like Gideon, who was not humble at all, but proud and How good is it that we have a saviour who was the king? God himself and took the very nature of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death because he trusted God's promise. He is the humble warrior of faith. Imagine having a saviour like that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know exactly what we need. A saviour because we are so much like Gideon. Thank you that our Saviour is not like him. He trusted your word and humbled himself, became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross for us, and so has defeated sin and death for us. We thank you that he saved us and rules over us.